Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And welcome back to Success Made to Last Legend Show. I'm Rick Tokini. I want to thank up front our mutual friend, Philippe Bousseau, who introduced Shelly Archambault to us. And uh, she is truly a legend. She's also the author of this great new book called Unapologetically Ambitious. On July the 15th, just a couple of days ago, Shelly celebrated World Skills Day to raise awareness about skill gaps that keep youngsters out of work. We bet that every day of Shelly's life is about celebrating the learning of new skills. And she's not only a board member at Nordstrom's, but she was one of Silicon Valley's first female African-American CEOs. She's a lot more than that, though. You're going to enjoy talking and hearing her um, as a risk taker, somebody who breaks barriers and who's created success on her very own terms. Shelly, welcome to Legends. Well, thanks very much, Rick. I've been looking forward to this. Likewise, likewise. As I told you in the pre-show, we don't like to read long bios, but we like to hear about career journeys. Would you share a little bit more about your beginnings and uh, what has led you up to the point of writing this wonderful book, Unapologetically Ambitious? Oh, well, certainly. So, uh, goodness, the start of all of this really was growing up in the 60s in America. It was very clear to me, a young black girl, that the odds were just not in my favor to get a lot of what I wanted. So I learned early to be intentional, to try to figure out strategies for actually making things happen. And then I got lucky. I had a guidance counselor in high school who asked me what I wanted to do after I graduated from college because I told her I wanted to go to college. And I said, I had no idea. I just needed a job (laughs) that would keep my house warm, allow me to travel and maybe eat out, right? Every once in a while. And she she said, um, she said, what do you like to do? And I said, oh, clubs, organizations, you know, American Field Service, French Club, I'm even a Girl Scout, right? All these things. Um, But I like leading them. And she's the one who first put the seed in my head. She said, well, Shelly, business is kind of like clubs. You pull people together to get things done. And I went, oh, great. Then I want to go into business. And since I like running clubs, I'll go run a business. So at the ripe old age of 16, I decided I wanted to be a CEO one day. Mm. Um, And then literally, I spent my entire career making that happen. I joined IBM um, back in the early 80s because IBM was the leader in tech and tech was a growing industry. Um, and I spent 14 years rising through the ranks, got to the point where I was running a multi-billion dollar division. Uh, there was no one else in the company higher than me that looked like me. And my boss reported to Lou Gerson, the CEO. So I had done well in 14 years, but it wasn't clear that I was really going to get a shot to compete for CEO. Mm-hmm. So I worked my way to Silicon Valley, 
where I, after two stints as a chief marketing officer and EVPs of sales at public companies, I finally got my opportunity to be CEO of a fledgling company that we turned around and became Metricstream, a leader in governance, risk, and compliance. And now I serve on Fortune 500 boards, advise companies, and try to inspire and impact the next generations to be able to achieve what they want out of their careers and their life. Wow. As you look in the rearview mirror and at a very um, wonderful, successful career, what do you consider to be some of those significant moments where the light bulb went on to say, I'm going to be more than successful, I'm going to be significant? Oh, goodness. That's a really interesting question. Um, I would say the one of the first ones was realizing that leadership and being a leader isn't just tied to your title. Mm. You know, I was a senior manager at IBM and with my team, my boss and team, we were putting, we put together a proposal to basically make an investment. And our boss had told us that, Hey, the skids are greased, right? We do all this work. I'll present it to my boss. We'll get funding and we're good to go. So he was super confident. Well, we took the proposal up. He met with his boss, came back and said, we didn't get the money, right? This is awful. Boss is terrible, blah, blah, blah. It's just really, really down. And I'm sitting there saying, oh my gosh, everybody's sitting here getting really down. We still got numbers to deliver. We still have to get things done. So I was the one that kind of rallied the team right back to say, hey, we just didn't get an investment. We didn't get our budgets cut, right? We can still do blah, 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 blah. And then he took the lead and kind of took us forward. But it was in that moment that I was like, you know, this whole leadership piece is much more than just who's in charge. It's really about trying to always keep the vision in front of you and being able to inspire people to see that they can actually achieve it and do it no matter what the circumstances are. Um, and I took that with me throughout my career. So that was a key moment for yeah. me. And, mm. you know, and then getting hired finally to be the CEO, right? It's like, yes, spent the last, you know, <laughs> 17 years kind of getting to this point. And yes, right? Made it, made it happen. Um, and then probably the last one was, um, being invited to join the Verizon board of directors, Fortune 15 company at the time. So I've been very fortunate. I've had some great learnings and great milestones. Yeah, indeed you have. And we should celebrate that. And we, you know, we can do that through, you can share this with us, folks, by buying Unapologetically Ambitious. And I, I love the title of that. Tell me when you arrived at that particular title and uh what were what was the second pick for the title of this book (laughs) well you know it's interesting rick i had the entire book written and i had no time Uh. i struggled oh my (laughs) goodness did i struggle with a title because i i knew i wanted ambition in it but i couldn't just call it ambition or ambitious and it really wasn't until I was in a conversation with friends, uh, all women, as it turns out, and we're talking about apologizing. And I said, you know what? I feel women are raised to apologize from birth because we apologize. Yes, when we do things wrong, but that's only like five, 10 percent of the time. The other 90, 95 percent of the time is because we're trying to make the rest of the world feel better, to show empathy, to show we care, to ease tension, smooth feathers, right? All those things we say, I'm sorry, like people use salt, right? It just makes everything taste a little better. And we've got to stop doing that. And that's when I, it clicked. I was like, you know what? That's it. Unapologetically ambitious. 
because everyone deserves to be ambitious and no one, no one should have to apologize for it. Yeah, that's exactly right. You remind me of, uh, this is going to give away my age, but um, in 1978, I, had offers from IBM and Procter and Gamble and went to work for Procter and Gamble. And now you're reminding me of all the things that I didn't get to learn at IBM. <laughs> but I was a part of a group that led women in sales at Procter and Gamble. And we talked about this very topic in 1978, 79 and trying to get people past that obstacle. Yes. And you know what? That's a that's a big reason why I wrote the book, Rick. You know, I've always tried throughout my career to be accessible. You know, people reach out, email, phone calls, social media, whatever. You know, I responded. And early in my career, I could meet with people who wanted to pick my brain and hear the story, et cetera, to try to inspire them. But as I got more and more responsibility, I just didn't have time. And so I said, you know what? When I get to phase two, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to write it down because I want more people to realize it is absolutely okay to be ambitious and no one should have to apologize for who they are, for their background, right? For anything. It's all about what you do, what you contribute, what impact you make. Mm, that's right. Along the way, you must have had some great mentors that taught you to be unapologetically ambitious. Let's, uh, let's let the Shelly, uh, Archambault show go forward here with some thank yous to your favorite mentors who were unapologetically ambitious. Oh my goodness. Um, I've had a bunch. I've been so fortunate, um, because I learned early that you can learn from anyone. So I've had a ton of them. Probably one of my early, one of the early messages I got, uh, was IBM. I wasn't even a full-time employee yet. I was an intern and a woman, a sales, uh, sales exec, had just gotten an award and I congratulated her on it. And she looked at me and said, after the meeting, come talk to me. And I said, okay. And so I went up to her afterwards and she said, Shelly, you know, this award I got um, for hard work, whatever, making the sale. She goes, a lot of people in this office have worked hard. A lot of people have closed big deals. She goes, the reason I got the award is because I let people know what I'm doing. She goes, mm. you know, meetings, I invite managers to participate. I communicate what's happening. I share when I'm hit hurdles, right? I ask for advice. And because everybody is aware of what I'm doing, then I get recognized. Hmm. Well, let me tell you, that became, that was such a key learning that I leveraged all the way through my career. It's true. Putting your head down and just working hard, that, that doesn't work if people don't see you and everybody's busy. So that was one. Uh, her name was Ruth Green at the time. She's now Ruth Davis. Okay. Um, another one was, uh, Roland Harris. Uh, also, this is also IBM. Um, I was probably, I don't know, three, four years or something into the business and IBM decided they wanted their high potential people to have mentors and asked us who we wanted our mentors to be. And I picked Roland because I knew him. He was a couple levels above me. I thought he liked me. Well, he calls me up, Rick, like a couple of days later, it's a Shelly. You put my name down to be your mentor. And I said, well, yeah, Roland, I, I thought you liked me because he doesn't sound very happy about it, right? And he says, Shelly, you've got me. Go get somebody else. Mm. I was like, what? That's when I learned, wait a minute. People are my mentors and I don't even realize it. And two, I can have as many mentors as I want. Roland told me to go get somebody else. So literally, I just adopted mentors 
going forward in my career. Um, so that made a profound impact on me. And then, I don't know, you want me to keep going? <laughs> There's so many people. I, you know, the, I think that that's great. That's good on the number of people. I, I think the point has been made here about uh, – there's lots of mentors that come into our life. It's kind of like uh, life is a river and they're going to come by us and for us. And then we move on at this stage of your life um, and being on board of directors. Did you have a mentor that you'd like to um, thank today who helped you on board as a board of director for a fortune 15 company? Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, yes. And he, unfortunately, he's actually passed away. But Bill Campbell, uh, mm. Bill Campbell was uh, an amazing leader and icon in, in Silicon Valley. And he, you know, he grew up Apple, um, but served on the boards of Google and um, a lot of the high flying um, companies in the Valley. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that I spent time with on, I'm getting ready to join my first board, right? What, or first Fortune 500 board. What should I know? How should I approach this? He's the one who's like, join the audit committee. And I'm like, join the audit committee. Isn't that like the toughest committee? The audit <laughs> committee? But he's like, yes, if you join the audit committee, you learn how the company actually makes money. Uh-huh. That's not always clear just by looking at the balance sheet and the financials. And once you understand how they actually make money, then your contribution to strategy, et cetera, is so much more valuable. Oh, very good. Okay. Wow. Yep. So I've done that. Every board I've joined, I've always joined the audit. And the legacy of Bill Campbell lives on again. That is fantastic. Okay. You know what? When, when you were speaking and you are so articulate and you're obviously a great storyteller, I know that you've had some mentors along the way on that as well. And it, and it, I just want to ask you where you grew up. Did your hometown inspire you toward greatness and to becoming a wonderful storyteller? Oh, interesting. I'm actually a little unique in that I don't have the traditional hometown. Hmm. I lived in seven states before I got to Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So if you ask me what inspired me on the storytelling, (laughs) it's probably more of the fact that I had to learn how to meet people, how to establish relationships, how to get grounded Hmm. over and over and over and over again. Of course. And that probably had a bigger impact. Yeah. And you never, you never meet a stranger to boot. And um, those are some of the core skills that probably have stuck with you your entire life. Yep, for sure. Okay, so um, we love talking about fear on this show. We'd love to know, uh, what is your, would please describe your relationship with fear throughout your professional career? Oh, my goodness. So I, I have actually had an interesting relationship with fear because I intentionally worked on building my courage muscle. Okay. Um, I, I believe, 
you know, people sometimes will ask me, Shelly, what's your superpower? And I say I have two, one of which is courage. And the key is I wasn't born with it. I don't think you have to be born with your superpowers. I think you can develop them. And because of how I grew up and some of the things that happened to me, I wasn't treated very well in many of the places that we moved to because I was the only black girl in the time when there was a lot of racial turmoil. Um, so I got a lot of, you know, verbal as well as physical um, abuse at times. And so just showing back up at school, just showing back up, right? What took courage. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is when I demonstrated courage versus running away, people respected that. And so it enabled me to actually build some relationships and, you know, develop some friendships. And I was like, okay, I need to develop this courage muscle because this really does work and enables me to continue to push forward and, and be resilient. So what that meant was every time I was afraid of something or feared something, I stepped forward. You know, you're in class, somebody says, all right, who's going to, who wants to volunteer to fill in the blank, speak or represent or da, da, da. my hand would go up. Not because I wanted to do it, but because I knew that if I just kept doing things that I was afraid of, I would develop more courage. Mm -hmm. um, so I've done that throughout, which is what has enabled me to be a risk taker. And what I found is risk and reward are two sides of the same coin. You just don't get the rewards if you don't take the risks. Yeah, that's exactly right. We do a a, a show called Mentoring Monday, and I think it reaches 160,000 some odd women that are in one-on-one -on -one mentoring protege relationships. For that group, tell me, give me some advice for our next show about how we can teach people to Build the courage muscle. Mm. Help people understand that the discomfort they're feeling, that, oh my God, I'm not sure I can do it, the, right? I'm uncomfortable, yep. actually means that they're learning. It means that they're learning. And if you're not feeling uncomfortable on a regular basis, you know, at least every four to six weeks, you're not feeling uncomfortable about something, then you're not growing. Bottom line is you're coasting and cars only coast in one direction and that's downhill. So you need to feel uncomfortable in order to ensure that you're continuing to grow. And most people understand how important it is to grow and develop if you're trying to achieve, right? A bigger and bigger impact in your overall life. So I think talking about this whole discomfort thing um, is important. The other is the way I always look at risks, Rick, is I ask myself, okay, what's, you know, what's the likely outcome? If I do this, right, what's the good side of what could happen? Now what's the downside? Then I ask myself, what's the worst that can happen? And can I live with it? And when you actually define the worst that can happen and stare at it and think about it, you realize, you know what? It's really not that scary. And yeah, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to put you in the poor house. It's not going to impact your mm -hmm. health. So you probably can go ahead and do it. It's the boogeyman that tends to be afraid. So you're afraid, but if you don't actually define it, you can't actually deal with it. So therefore you don't move forward. So that's what I would offer. Wow. I love that part of the answer as it applies to the question of how to manage fear. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm, we're going to replay that on a mentoring Monday, if you don't mind. So others can hear that. That's a, Not at all. that was well said. Okay. So you sound like a futurist to me. It's like you're always 10 to 15 years ahead of yourself. Is that true? 
<laughs> well, my mother said I was five going on 30, so I, I guess I have been. <laughs> so if, if uh, God were to give you another 100 years, what would you want to accomplish in that next 100? Oh, my goodness. I would want to figure out ways to help more people be able to contribute to their full capability. In my experience, most people, if they're lucky, they actually contribute to maybe 60%, you know, if that. Of their capacity and capability. Yeah. Yep. And that's not, and it's not because they're not willing to work hard and not because they're not ambitious. A lot of times you just don't get the opportunity. You don't get the encouragement. You don't get the development, right? All those things. So I would spend the next hundred years working on how do we solve that problem? Because, oh my goodness, imagine how amazing this country could be if everybody, everybody was able to contribute even to 70 or 75% of their capability. Yeah, it would be an amazing world. But you know what? With people like you who can at least put a voice behind that and help others build their courage muscle, as you call it, maybe we can be on track to that. Okay, Shelly, I've got two final questions for you, and um, I'll start with this one. It's um, over the last 18 months, we've all gone through this strange global pandemic. And I'm wondering, has your definition of success changed? And and if so, what is your post-COVID-19 definition of the word success? Actually, my definition hasn't changed. To me, success means that I've been able to achieve the aspirations and goals I set forward for myself in a way that has helped to inspire and bring others along. Um, and I, I see the same definition for success today as I did two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. So it's timeless and it's still universal. Yes, I believe it is. Okay, Shelly, final question for you. Um, we've asked this question in two different ways. I'll, I'll deliver it to you both ways. One is, we always say, provide a graduation speech to the uh, 2022 class at Stanford Business School. Or the other one is, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? So we, we'd love to get <laughs> so your perspective so on, on that. Okay. So first, let me start with the advice. The advice to my 20-year-old self is, one, don't take yourself so seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, two, take your vacation. Oh. Take your vacation. Um, and three, ask for help every step of the way. Most people want to be helpful. And nobody, no one accomplishes anything of significance all by themselves. No one. Even if they say they do, they're lying. Nobody does. So why do you think you're the only one in the world that's going to be able to do it? So take help every step. <laughs> that's brilliant. I love that. Okay, Shelly, we want to have you back once a year for the uh, Shelly update. <laughs> okay. And I'm I'm I have kept copious notes and obviously this will be recorded on Legends show but it'll be fun to watch how you how you grow and continue to build your courage muscle and I may ask you some of the same questions just to get the uh you know the update 
from you. But what a joy it's been to have you on. Thank you so much for being on Legends today. And uh, we're so thankful that you had a chance to share your wit and wisdom. And um, I felt like that you mentored me today. So I was the first recipient of all this good advice. (laughs) Well, thank you, Rick. And thanks so much for having me. You bet. That was uh, Shelly Archambault. We appreciate her being on our Legends show today. And this program is presented by Edward Jones Financial Advisors. We appreciate their long-term support of this network. As we always say, may you continue to move your life from ordinary to extraordinary. Have a great week. Thanks to our sponsor, Edward Jones. They are our trusted financial advisor. And Edward Jones has been instrumental in helping us pivot our lives built around health, happiness, travel, and adding value to other people's lives. You can contact our advisor, Serban Marasini, by emailing him at S-E-R-B-A-N period M-A-R-A-C-I-N-E at edwardjones.com. And thanks again to their sponsorship of this program. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.